Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. My name is Heather Kiros, and I'm the author and founder of First Century Youth Ministry. But if you want to learn about Jesus from his Jewish context and get better at discipleship in the 21st century, this podcast is for you. This podcast is a part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. Hey friends, before we launch this episode, I just want to share something really exciting with all of you. As you know, over the past few months, I have been having tremendous conversations with lots of great youth ministry leaders and even people who have some great things to share with us about the Jewish roots of our faith. But I've been praying for God to bring a long-term co-host who could join me. After Mark stepped away, I realized that my passion lies in helping people understand the Jewish roots of our faith and the historical context of the Bible, all things I felt like Mark and I were able to bring to you. And so I was just really praying that God would bring someone similar uh, to Mark into my life. And he did. And so I'm super excited. I've got a new co-host that's going to be joining me. His name is Jonathan. And actually, Jonathan's episodes are going to air. I've got this week with Dr. Chap Clark. And then after that, you're going to have two episodes from Jonathan. The show will take a four-week break. And then Jonathan and I will re-release a brand new season of the First Century Youth Ministry podcast on Monday, March the 6th. We'll release episodes every other week. Moving forward, we've got a super sweet, (laughs) great series we're going to be starting for all of you as we help you understand Jesus from his Jewish context to bring that into your uh, 21st century world today. So friends, enjoy this episode and get ready because new stuff is coming. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. It's Heather once again on with Dr. Clark, he's back. And uh, as promised, we have another conversation here about disciple makers adopting the vulnerable. So hopefully you felt encouraged by last week's conversation. And we're just going to kind of keep moving that direction this week to help you become the best disciple maker you can be as we look at the Jewish roots of our faith and those those things that were common in the first century to help answer today's youth ministry leaders' questions. And so I want to start out with a story about um, a bus ministry that I started at my church. So years ago, I I started a bus ministry at my church, and we would go all over the west end of the county picking up kids for youth for Wednesday night activities. And of course, as you can imagine, this would create a number of new complexities within our church. Uh, Many of the kids came from broken family systems. Normally, one or both parents were either emotionally or physically absent. Uh, And these young people, as you can imagine... Uh, brought with them a deep desire to be loved and to be somewhere that felt safe and life-giving. And for many, our church became that place for them. So, um, you know, of course, this created a lot more behavioral problems. And a a few people even questioned, is this bus ministry really worth it? Uh, But for me, in my mind, and I think you, Dr. Clark, would agree, including these students into our church family was part of God's kingdom work. So we see this modeled by Jesus. And we talked about this last week, right? That at every turn, Jesus welcomed in the vulnerable to join him in God's kingdom. And in fact, one of Jesus's main messages weaved throughout scripture is that we are to participate in God's kingdom now and in the future. That was actually very a rabbinic idea that was alive and well in the first century was this idea of the kingdom now and the kingdom that's coming. Um, Unfortunately, during the time of Jesus, though, the religious elite didn't really believe that those outside of the Jewish faith, nor those Jews who were poor, um, could really uh, be a part participants in God's kingdom. So instead of creating a place for the vulnerable, 
lost and oppressed to find rest, the religious system of Jesus's day created a wall of separation between the vulnerable and God. And I see that um, much to a degree in our world today, um, especially with kids who are vulnerable, because it takes a tremendous amount more effort to get them and to help them and to love them uh, because they come from such broken systems and they, they bring with them a number of troubles and hurts and, and pain. And sometimes that manifests itself in poor behavior or in bad decisions. And um, a lot of people would just say, you know, our church, our church was pretty good. Now it's, now it's really messy and we don't like this. Right. And I love what you wrote in adopted youth ministry. You said when a faith community provides a young person with a welcoming place to belong, a meaningful way to make a difference in the world and a family that loves and pursues them unconditionally. God's people are responding in the name of Jesus to the deepest core needs that a youth can experience. You also wrote that adoptive ministry mandates that it is the responsibility of those in power to draw in, to include, and to equip all those who feel like outsiders so that they feel included in the very center of the family of God. We must move from running a program to being a family, from functioning as an institution to living as an organism. So what do you think, Dr. Clark? We kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but kind of moving uh, the ball forward. How can a youth ministry move from simply a program and into a family? And what are some, you know, potentially good steps a person could take in moving that direction with their youth ministry? I Because I taught graduate school my whole career, not college. And uh, I, with parents, I do have the list, you know, because everybody likes the lists. And last time I did the lists, I'm usually not lists. I'm usually more the big framework and let people figure out their own lists. But yeah. just, you know, I will work on giving lists when I'm with you. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, the, that whole principle of who's inside and who's outside, hmm. that is a, a lot of people written about this over the centuries is that is such a huge hallmark of Jesus's ministry. That was very different than the modern, the rabbis of the first century. Yeah. Because the rabbis of the first century, sometimes they were outsiders themselves, but most of the time they weren't. Right. And, uh, and, and therefore they were, they would, they would only pick the respectable kind of people. So that's why Jesus got respectable people and Pharisees to really be mad at him because they knew what the role of a rabbi was, a traveling rabbi, was yeah. a respectable job. It was a good thing. Sure. But therefore, they only got respectable people to be with them. And that word respectable is culturally driven anyway, because who's respectable when we're honest? Yeah. Um, so Jesus blows that away. And, and one of the things that's at the core of this is not only does he blow it away kind of with words and teaching, although mm-hmm. he does that. Mm-hmm. But if you notice, if you look at the life of Jesus, there's not one place where someone who is vulnerable, beaten down, separate, mm. outcast, whatever. Yep. Not one time was Jesus harsh with them. Not one time. Mm-mm. The only times he was ever kind of strong, and very rarely was he harsh. But the only times he was ever kind of strong in the way he would speak back to people or not be clear in what he would say was people that should have known better that. Or, That's or right. The gatekeepers. Of, You're right. Of the, and yep. everything I've written and studied my whole life is it's not just kids that come from tough backgrounds. It's now mm. what we live in. It's every single young person. And it's just yeah. a matter of kind and yeah. sometimes a matter of degree, mm-hmm. but not necessarily anymore. I mean, um, 
So, uh, you know, that's the first principle is this, is we are modeling what Jesus taught us the gospel really is, is that he came. There's a writer that I just love, Guterres, Gustav Guterres, who wrote that incarnation smells like a stable. Ah, it's good. Which the poverty in the midst of the great powers that were out to kill the babies, you know, they had to flee to Egypt and all the stuff around Christmas, that in the most vulnerable, tender way, he came to the place where the poor and the broken and the marginalized. I mean, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis treats it like a diver that would that lost something overboard and would dive to the very bottom and dig through the mud, the very bottom of the mud, till he finally found that treasure. Yeah. And come up. And that's what God did in the incarnation. Right. And you know what? And when Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And this is, I know, sounds theoretical, but it's not. It's it's core and missional, is that we need to remember that Jesus drove to the bottom of the river of the ocean yeah. to rescue us. And every single young person needs, deserves that same kind of love. So mm. that's that's where all this has to start. Sure. Because they do not feel like that is not a kid or almost none statistically. Mm-hmm. That feels like they're an insider. Hmm. Right. That that feels like there's they're they can be themselves freely without them to worry. And even now the word safety is getting a lot is getting hammered by political folks and others, like kids should be safe and trophy for every kid. And why do we call them and they're entitled? And I kind of go, you know, how easily you forget where you are, what your human condition is. In youth ministry, we don't have the luxury to play those rhetorical games with people that happen to have a job on TV and the internet. Hmm. We got to remember what Jesus has done for us. Therefore, what does that mean? Okay, list. <laughs> we go. We go where they are. Yeah. Youth ministry is not. Are they coming to youth group? Hmm. Youth ministry is where we are. Now, sometimes that's relational directly, and I've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that is that is emotionally, that we're not there to build our program. We are there to be a kind listener and longsider. So that's the first step is that we are the initiators because we hold the power in youth ministry and any ministry. And we have the ability to help someone feel like they belong in this family unit. That's first. Second thing is, is what are we inviting them to? I talked about last week of the four things. Um, if, mm-hmm. not, if you listen to it, go listen to it. Yeah. Because part of it is the language that you use to describe who you are, who we are. Mm-hmm. But somebody who welcomes a kid in uh, who feels like an outsider, who all of them do, yeah. is they're inviting them into a, and this is really important language, mutual adoption in Christ, because that's what the scriptures teach. We don't adopt kids. Because when you use the model of adoption where we are the parents and we adopt kids, then we maintain a sense of control and power and hierarchy and mm. insights, which is true of parents okay. and necessary. Sure. And therefore, parents have to figure out how do you include kids as they grow up that they eventually become peers. So your little kid, you got one, two? I have one. One. Mm-hmm. You know, I got three and I got five grandkids. And mm. our rule is is as we lead them, 
we still are the insiders. And as we bring them inside, we're training them and equipping them to be able to be peers with us. That's right. It's essentially the same thing. But the key biblically is that if a kid comes to faith in Christ, they're adopted in the family, mm-hmm. just like I am. Yes. And yeah. so the invitation in is not in on the sidelines. It's in at the core. Mm. What does that look Find like? a way for a kid to be part of that community, to yeah. contribute, to have a purpose. Yeah. So those are the two things I'd say. Yeah, that's good. I, yeah. That's a lot. Sorry. But, no, that's that's good because I think I think you're right. You know, including them in that they would become an insider, not you because I do see that, right? And I don't know how to change that because to some degree, you know, there's there, there has to be a level of maturity and things like that when it comes to, you know, getting kids ready for maybe um more insider status, so to speak, but maybe how would you define that? What is insider yeah, status? Look like? Because I think that's part of the problem. Okay. If we think in terms of tasks and programs. Sure. As opposed to believing that God has a developing story with each kid. Mm-hmm. God has gifted each kid. God has made each kid talented. I know that the, the world out there says that's not true. There's winners and losers and there's ones that are strong ones that are weak. And yeah, but you don't find that in the scripture. There's no place you can find that in the scripture. You, you, First Corinthians 12, Romans 12, the two key gifts passages, mm-hmm. every single person brings something unique to the table. Sure. And um, so our job is to find a way for them to connect some kind of purpose. This is what Fuller Youth yeah. Institute talks about a lot. I would say fullerinstitute.org, Kara Powell and her team yeah. do great work on this idea of purpose. Yes. Yeah. Uh, every kid has got some place that they can feel good about that I'm contributing. I'm part of this. Mm. Our job is to create the systems that make every kid that's willing to and wants to. And even if they screw up, so what? We screw yeah. up all the time. That's right. I know you don't, Heather. You've never missed a bad, you've never missed a bad call in the basketball. <laughs> oh, game. never. I never miss calls. No, I miss them every night that I go out and officiate, Absolutely. right? That was charging, by the way. I watched Yeah, that. well, me. <laughs> But does that make sense to you? Is that- it does. It does. Yeah. And and I think, you know, part of the maybe one of the barriers, and I'll see what you think about this, you know, that we have to break down in order to get to that place is to stop thinking that church is a place where we oppress people, but it's a place where we are just people. Because I've, you know, I've been a, a part of some churches or I've witnessed some churches where you show up on a Sunday and they've got the most polished preachers and the most polished worship leaders and, you know, this, that, and the other, and all that kind of thing. I remember in my church growing up, we used to have somebody sing like a special song, you know, almost every Sunday. And some people would sing and they weren't the best, but they sang because they loved Jesus and they weren't terrible, but they weren't, you know, the best of the best. And I remember my church cut that because, well, you know, some of the people aren't the best singers and we want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, but is that what church is really all about? Right. And um, what is, you know, when you show up at a family gathering, you know, you've got that weird uncle, but everybody still loves him. Right. And, and I think what you're saying, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, if we want to create a place where everybody feels adopted and loved, we're willing to say, okay, that didn't go super great, but that kid got a chance to be a part of. Well, and, and we got to be more creative in the options that we give them. Okay. And not have them go up there to sing a song when they're terrible. Yeah, that's when true. First yeah. senior pastor, this is 20 years ago, uh, a lady used to love doing solos on a violin. And 
A, she wasn't very good. Okay. B, I, I never liked in a worship service having just music where nobody knows the words to what they're playing. So it's just a performance mm, thing. Sure, that's and true. I made a horrible mistake by just trying to share with her that I don't think we ought to take a break from doing this once a month like we've been doing, uh, as opposed to trying to find an alternative. Oh, uh, yeah. And I and I think what we need to do is just find alternatives. You're right, not mm-hmm. always the best quality, but mostly finding something that's appropriate so they feel like there's a win. And and remember, it's not we're adopting them. It's we're siblings, mm-hmm. that we're adopted by Christ, and so we treat one another as family. That's, that's really important to this. That's a, that's a good view because if you view them as a parent, you might treat them like a parent. But if you view them as a sibling, then we recognize we're on the same level playing field. Which why Paul uses the word adopted to sonship five times. And um, he said, don't you know who you are? You're all adopted. You're adopted yeah. kids to live like it. Yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts about, you know, how we can move from program into a family? Well, yeah. And another thing is, is I remember Wayne Rice wrote a book, gosh, 1985, long sure. time ago. It's called Building Christian Community and Youth Ministry. Mm idea especially for today the problem was when you try to do that in youth ministry and it's not actually happening in a bigger church it it becomes an artificial thing because you just can't get in a youth ministry setting you can't get away from all the outside pressures with their friends and social media and just different schools that go to and right there's right. got to be a greater reality mm-hmm. and so the things we talked about last week fit into this whole thing Sure. Is a kid may feel a purpose in the church and, and just be one of the kids in the youth group, but they mm-hmm. still will feel better about themselves because they know they're included in the greater whole. Yeah. And so I'd say you don't have to do it necessarily all in youth ministry. You just create every kid having some way that they know this is their family. So by the time they get out of high school, hmm. well, maybe now junior high, would well, you like church? Well, yeah. Yeah. No, I actually hate it, most of it, but well, why do you go? Well, my parents stopped making me, but I wouldn't miss it. Why not? Because they need me. Ah. Uh, yeah. That's good. I miss. Yeah. I've noticed I've noticed that what keeps kids connected is they either have an important role to play or they have a strong friendship group and a strong adult who they're connected to. And that's what keeps them. I've noticed that. So there you go, friends. Think about that in your ministry world. What can you do to help adopt kids and become a place that is a place of family? So Dr. Clark, this has been another fun conversation. And thanks again for joining us for the First Century Youth Ministry podcast. And friends, um, just remind you uh, that youth uh, ministry leaders trip to Israel. We've still got a couple spots available. We'd love for you to join us for that. So thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.